200 people will be receiving meals, as I mentioned earlier today. All right, so we're in Genesis chapter 17. If, or if I can encourage you to have an open Bible today, uh, we're going to be working through a number of passages today, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But uh, Genesis 17, and I'm going to start in verse 9 and read all the way through the end in verse 27. This is God's holy, inerrant word. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall, I, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. At the very day, that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. This is God's word. May I add his blessing to the reading of it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just um, ask that as we come here to your word, Father, that you would help us to apply this to our own lives. God, seeing not just an ancient um, or historical ordinance, but Father, something which points to a very critical reality for our lives now. God, we all bring to you um, just where we are now. We bring to you our whole self. God, with our failings over this last week, our sins, our depressions, our anxieties, all these things, God, we just bring to you today and just ask that wherever we are, you'd minister through your word to us. Father, helping us think through our life in light of your word. Lead us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, has anybody done a home remodel recently or remodeled anything? 
you know, just, you know, you have this house, maybe you've lived in it in a while, for a little while, and, and you know just that time to spruce up a kitchen or to spruce up a bathroom, I mean, it almost makes like living in that place um, just so much more bright and joyful. Adding a window here or, or, or adding some paint can brighten up a room. By the way, just to mention it while I'm thinking about it, you know, on the outside of our church, I don't know if you noticed, but we painted I mean, it's beautiful. Um, our deacons looked for some reasons why we needed to do it, uh, partly for its appearance, partly for some water reasons, and just to do it. And it just looks so much better. And even for ourselves, just that kind of outward um, work, you know, spruces things up and brings life. In fact, you know, we know because of decay and because of just um, ordinary use that, you know, we have to do improvements from time to time, don't we? You know, sort of a, of a decay, uh, things kind of devolve, they go down. And unless we just take that time in order to invest in it and to do something with it, um, you, know, we, you know, we know it can just decline um, and, and decay. We may not enjoy it as much as those first times we were there. Well, we want to talk about spiritual improvement here. Not necessarily spiritual self-improvement, but, but God's work of improvement inside of our life. And this is really important. Because as we look through spiritual growth, we realize that, that we also need to continue to grow on to move forward in our Christian life. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they would want nothing more than to you for it to get stagnant in your Christian life. To not improve in it at all. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they'd love for you to move backwards, away from Christ, away from that joy that you had when you first started following Jesus. They would love for you just to kind of get stagnant and stay put, and you kind of lose that excitement for what it means to follow Christ. The world, the flesh, and the devil would love for you just to, just to stay put where you are. But God has a way of, of setting a foundation that we can build on it and continue to grow in it, that we would grow in the fullness of what he has for us, to grow in that love that he has for us, to grow in that joy that he has for us, to grow in that purpose that he has for us. And as we come to Genesis 17, what we see is the start of something, the start of something very important, but the start of something that needs to be understood fully and to be built upon. And we see that in the covenant that he is making with Abraham. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week when we uh, went through also Genesis 17. We started back in verse 1 and 2. And we saw of God's command, he, taught, he speaks to Abraham and he, and he gives him this command, walk before me and be blameless. And he says that he's going to be with him. And then he gives wonderful promises of land, of, of a son, and he continues to reiterate these promises to Abraham. And then jumping down to verse 9 and 10, as we read this morning, we looked at it briefly last week, God gives him a new sign, and that sign is to remind him of the covenant that he's in, to remind him of who he is, to remind him of who God is. And so God gives this permanent sign of circumcision as, as, as a marker to build upon and move forward in, right? And this is something that's really important for Abraham. If you look in verse 10, God commands him to do it. It's a command that God has given to him. And if you look down at verses 12 and 13, it's not only a command for him, but it's a command for his children and for all of his, uh, of his earthly descendants, 
And it's so serious, if you look at verse 14, that if somebody refuses to take on the sign of this covenant, they are to be removed from the community. I mean, it is that serious. Right? And so this was given to him as a reminder of God's covenant promises. What was the relationship they were going to be in? And what were the responsibilities that Abraham had? And what were the promises that God was giving to him um, in light of his grace and mercy and his choosing of Abraham? This was a covenant sign that was given to Abraham but that was given, not just for his sake or every male's sake who would receive that sign, but it was a sign for the entire nation, including, the, including uh, women, if, even though they wouldn't receive the sign on themselves, because it was a description of a people who were to live in covenant relationship with God. And then what that meant, what that entailed for them in the way that they lived. See, because what it entailed for them in the way they lived was a calling to be different. A calling to be separate. A calling to be a holy nation, which was set out ultimately for the Lord. That's why it was an obligation for them to do it. A sign for them of what they would, um, of who they were to be. As they enjoyed God's promises, also walking in God's promises. And so just as it was significant to them, there is a significance that comes down to us. Now, now, something like circumcision is not an obligation for the church. We read through the New Testament, we recognize that it is not an obligation for the church. But we can still learn from it. And the way that the New Testament talks about this ordinance of circumcision reminds us there's a lot that we need to learn from it because there are lots of important spiritual applications that we need to draw from our life. And the main thing is this, is that there is a need of inner transformation that needs to take place in God's people. There's a need of inner transformation that's connected with it. All right, so what we're going to do today is we're going to do, not just focusing on this text, but seeing this as a springboard, and what does God build out of this? What does God build forward in the rest of the Bible in talking and building on this ordinance of circumcision? Because as I read this passage, you know what, it's kind of awkward to read. You know, I don't know if you read it as you were listening to it, like, oh, that's kind of awkward for him to be reading up there. And, you know, I felt it too. But it's God's word. This is given to us. And we want to see that application for it. And what we're going to do is to see how, even though it's awkward, even though it has those things, it still applies to us. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to have your Bible open as you can. Now, I always encourage to have a paper Bible if you can. I mean, I love the smell of our paper Bibles. You know, I love the feel of it. And I love that when I look for a certain text that I've looked at before, I know what side of the page it's on. You know, so it's good to have these ones. Now, I'm not judging you if you have a digital Bible. Because inevitably, every week I say something about paper Bible. Somebody says, there's a reason I use my digital Bible. I know. That's fine. I'm not judging you for it. But I'm just saying... Today, I'd encourage you, if you have one, follow along with where we go. If you need a Bible, we have ones back there. And here's my also, someone else encourage you, just to, just to help, just, you know, solidify, you know, that the value of a paper Bible. I just encourage you, when we learn something today about circumcision, maybe underline that in your Bibles. Because you'll notice, as you underline certain things in the text we're going to look at, how it applies to you, how it applies to us in our current walk with Christ, okay? So that's what we're going to do today. So the first thing we're going to see, and it's the first point in your bulletin, um, bulletin outline, is the circumcision pointed to the problem of sin. 
And we see that as we turn to our first passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10. You know, I'm going to turn to each of these passages with you so to make sure that I give enough time for you to turn there. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16. So Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book in your Bible. It's right at the beginning. And it's right at the beginning. Why? Because this was a law which was given for the nation of Israel, a foundation for how they were to live. Right? Genesis through Deuteronomy are that, those foundational books that are given to Israel as they begin as a nation. How are they to live? How are they to act? What's their um, national religious life like? And then verse 16, Deuteronomy 10, 16, shows us something as he builds upon this idea of circumcision we saw with Abraham. Look at verse 16. He says this, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Right? What he's showing here is a need that every person has for a spiritual surgery. We all need a spiritual surgery. This may have been something that just women, uh, that only men, the, the outward sign, only men would get this. But the spiritual surgery that's needed is required for all of God's people, man, woman, and child. Right, and so this outward sign, which was given to them as a nation, was a reminder to them that they needed to humble themselves before God. They needed to cut off pride and to cut off stubbornness of their heart. It's a potent reminder that the greatest threat to our soul is our own pride against God. It'll be the primary reason that any one person enters into hell. Our stubbornness keeps us from God. It keeps us from trusting his promises. It keeps us from believing and doing what we should. If there's anything that will drive us away from God, it is our stubbornness. It is our, it is our bitterness that fails to see his kindness in our lives and to see his love. It's the pride that makes us think that we know better than the laws of God. It is the self-centeredness that thinks we need to take care of, number one, right? Ourselves. You can see how this needs to be cut out of our lives. And so that external sign points to the spiritual surgery that every person needs done in their hearts. Even us. It's a pointer. All right, so let's go on the next one. Also in Deuteronomy, just a few chapters over, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Okay, so what he's, what he's talking about as we get to Deuteronomy 30 is what does spiritual renewal look like? Your nation may go into idolatry. They may sin. What does spiritual renewal look like for a nation? What does spiritual renewal look like for a people? And you'll notice... The way he talks about it, he talks about it through a spiritual circumcision. Something that God does with his people. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. It says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. All right, so God says here, right, the other passages say, you need to do this. This verse says, this is what I do in times of spiritual renewal. And why does he do it? So that they'll love him. So that they'll love their neighbor. Ultimately, if you look at the end of the verse, that you may live. You know, that the nation may be able to come on, go, continue on. Um, that they may have eternal life. And ultimately, that they would go to heaven. It's an important point that there is something that is seriously wrong with our hearts. With our sinful hearts. In our sin, we love the world. 
We love sowing to our flesh. We want to look out for our own interests and not for the interests of others. And the power of that sinful nature needs to be cut off. As long as sin dominates your life, you will never want to do the commandments of God. You will never want to serve your neighbor. And so what God is saying here, he's going to do for his nation in times of spiritual renewal is to cut the power cord, the the power cord of sin in their lives. So the work of putting off sin is the work of God. We need him to do it. Yes, we can put ourselves in a place where we can do that work, but ultimately it is a work that he does. And maybe we like that because, you know, we don't like the idea of doing difficult surgery on our lives, do we? We don't always like the idea of the pain that's there, but we know that somebody needs to do it, right? I mean, people don't usually give themselves surgery. Now, I looked up to see if anybody has ever given themselves surgery. And so I was just interested in it, and I looked up, you know, some of the most extreme versions of self-surgery, and there was a Soviet um, explorer on an expedition to Antarctica in 1960, and he got appendicitis, and he was the only doctor in Antarctica um, that was with him, and so with nobody else to care for him, he had to remove his own appendix, and, and he, ended up, uh, he ended up surviving, right? So, but, you know, it's kind of gross, unimaginable, and all of us kind of cringe because we think, I could never do that myself. You know, I, if, if you're prone to faint in the sight of blood, you're probably even more so in the sight of your own blood. Um, like, like with that. And it helps us to remember that we don't like often to give ourselves that pain, right? We don't, we don't do that. We have somebody else to help us with it. And that's what God is showing here. He is the one who ultimately circumcises the heart. What we do is we bring ourselves to him. We bring ourselves to him in worship. We bring ourselves in prayer. We bring ourselves to him in the study of his word. And we just, we pray to God. The ultimate prayer, oh Lord, give me a heart that loves you. Oh God, give me a heart that hates sin. God, cut off every part of that which, which is displeasing to you and bring in every good thing which pleases you in this life. It's not a thing that happens quickly. It's a thing that happens over time as God does this progressively inside of our lives. All right, so let's flip over a number of books now to our next passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. So Jeremiah's at kind of the second half of the Old Testament. If you're flipping over there, you're going to go past Psalms, past Proverbs, past Isaiah. Those are the big ones. And then you'll hit Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 4. And in Jeremiah chapter 4, this is a prophet, and he's speaking on behalf of God, speaking on behalf of God to a rebellious nation. You know, that spiritual decline that, he, that God said that, that might happen, how do you be renewed? That's happened by this point. And God is telling them, you need to get back. You need to get back. And he does it through the prophet Jeremiah. So what does God say in Jeremiah chapter 4? Uh, let me read verse 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest by wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. You can see the comparison he says here. He says, A hardened heart 
is like a hard ground which can't receive seed. Right? And what we need, you know, a seed in the ground. This, the plant isn't going to grow. Right? And you can think of the uh, parable given by Jesus in um, Matthew chapter 13, where there was seed that was scattered over the ground, and, and, the, and the first seed that went out went over uh, hard ground, and it just couldn't get through the hardened, hard-packed ground, and so the birds came in, and they, and, they, and they ate it up, Matthew chapter 13. You know, that's what, he says, an uncircumcised heart is like, it just doesn't listen to God's word. It's hardened against God's word. God, I'm not going to let it in. I might hear it on the outside, but I don't hear it on the inside. It just kind of lays there. And maybe if I do hear it, it just kind of goes over my head because I'm thinking about other things. Thinking about other things. I'm thinking about that girl. I'm thinking about that guy. I'm thinking about my anxieties. I'm thinking about my problems. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, how much money I want to make. Um, I'm thinking about all those things, but I'm not letting God's word come in and penetrate my heart. And what does he say to do? Break up your fallow ground. Right? Break up that hard ground. You know, and the reminder of where Jesus goes in that parable of the soils, you know, that there's the good soil, which produces a crop, some 60, or some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30-fold, right? We are called to come with humble hearts before God, and we pray as we come before God's Word, and the ministry of the Word, and our Bible says our prayer, whatever it is, we're praying, oh God, would you break my heart? Would you make it ready to receive your Word? Take down all stubbornness. In me, I repent of my sins and I look to Christ. Do you receive God's word and listen to it by faith? Prepare. So what does this look like? I want to turn over a few more uh, verses or chapters to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah 9, just five chapters over. Because he shows us what this radical surgery looks like. Uh, Verse 25, right? And it's this reminder to them. But don't think that this external thing that you do, this ceremony that's part of your life, whether you're eight days old or whether you're Abraham and 99 years old, um, don't think that that external ceremony is sufficient. Don't think that your national identity is enough. Jeremiah 9, 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, while I, I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Right? God isn't impressed with them why they're merely external uh, practices if it doesn't come then down into their hearts. God identifies that big problem, that, it's, that, their, that their religiosity has only stayed on the outside, that it hasn't come inside. And if you jump back just a few verses to verse 23, he shows them, you know, the problem. And he shows them what needs to be developed is in humility before God. Verse 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The people were boasting in themselves, they were boasting in their wealth, they were boasting in their wisdom, they were boasting in their power. And God says, this isn't a sign of strength. This is a sign of weakness, a sign of spiritual weakness. The world likes to say that that nice cars, many books, big responsibilities, that those are the things which make a successful person. But that's not success in God's eyes. And here for Israel, 
Their boasting was a sign that they did not know the Lord. They failed to see their need. They thought that they were sufficient without God. And that still happens today. People have a veneer of outward Christianity. They say that they're Christian. They go to church. They can, they can tell you when they were baptized. They can tell you when they walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, and they may think that they're going to heaven, but there's no spiritual vitality. There's, there's no fruit. It's just all outward. It has no benefit. You see, there needs to be faith, which is connected with that sign, and a faith which results in heart change. Well, it's, all right, let's turn now to the New Testament. New Testament, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. So again, as you're following along, once you hit the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then right after John, you have the book of Acts. And then Acts 7 is one of the longest chapters there uh, because this is a speech given by Stephen, man Stephen, right before he was about to be martyred. And he, the whole chapter, he goes through Israel's history. But what does he say in verse 51? What does he say in verse 51? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. So when it comes to them hearing from the Holy Spirit, they had something blocking their heart. They had something blocking their ears so they couldn't hear. Their heart was impenetrable. They didn't want to repent. And in fact, their ears were so stopped up, they didn't even want to listen. You know, as kids, I don't know if you ever did this, you're, you're like, you cover your ears and say, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Now, I know that they can. I've tested this. But, and I remember that I could, as much as I tried. Um, they didn't want to listen. Right? They were stiff-necked, stubborn, and because of that, they missed the Messiah who would come among them. and even crucified him on a cross. Now, here's the thing. Unless we cut off sin, we will miss the words of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I do have one thing where I can ignore all of my family and everything they say, and they're noise-canceling headphones. Does anybody have noise-canceling headphones? I mean, those things really work. Somebody could be speaking just right behind me and tell me something I should do, and I can conveniently not hear what they're saying. For the music in my ears and the sound muffling of all that, you know, they are really effective. But that could be like us, right? We have this noise-canceling that's going on around our ears, and it's those Thoughts that we're running through instead of uh, receiving God's word by faith and hearing what he says to us, we're thinking, you know what, I'll think of the things I have to do today. I'll think of this uh, goal that I have for this next week. You know, I don't really, God, you know, I know you're trying to talk to me, but I'm not going to stop talking because I just want to uh, ignore the thing that you're trying to say to me. You know, we can cancel those things out, right? We cancel it out by our entertainment and our friends and our work, just not listening. And what was the result of that? Spiritual deadness, Christlessness, right? We miss him like they missed him in Acts chapter 7. All right, let's look at another passage. Uh, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. Romans, Romans is the next book over after Acts. <coughs> Romans 2, 28 and 29. And here... The Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter to the Roman people, he's answering a question for them. You know, what is a sign that a person truly belongs to God? Verse 28 says this. For, one, or for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. 
but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not for man, but from God. Right? So he reminds us, a person who belongs to God, when the person truly can claim to be one of his people, is someone who's identified by inward change. Not just outward change, but the outward change points to the need of the inner and the realization and the growth and the improvement in that inner change. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you flip over another few books to Philippians, Philippians is a small one. Philippians chapter 3. Well, you'll have to find that one. Um, I'm not going to describe it, but it's just, it's, it's easy to miss if you're flipping too fast. Um, but Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, Ephesians chapter, or Philippians chapter 3, starting verse 2. And this letter is written to non-Jewish people who are part of the church. And it's interesting what he writes to them. What does he write to these non-Jewish people who are part of the church? Verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The true circumcision is those who glory in Jesus Christ, not simply in outward ceremonies. It's a heart that delights in worship when it glorifies Jesus. Prideful people say, look at what I've done. Look at my accomplishments. Look at the family that I've come from. Look at all the spiritual things that I do. But true faith glories in Jesus Christ, acknowledging sin. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It sees grace and love coming down from God. All right, so this, as we understand this, we see this is how Abraham's covenant is relevant to us spiritually. We may not have to take on that sign, but we, we see that there is still, the meaning of it is still relevant to us. And if anything proves that to us, it's um, Colossians. So that's the next book after Philippians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Colossians 2, 11. And it really strikes home how the spiritual significance of this is relevant into the, into the Christian's life. Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12. In him, that's in Jesus... In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So how do we, how do we get the body of flesh removed? According to that passage, how do we get the body of flesh removed? Jesus Christ is the one who removes the body of flesh. He removes that sinful nature. And so this passage speaks about something really important. It speaks about our union with Christ. It speaks about our union with Christ. It's a, it's a doctrinal uh, matter that, that we don't think about as much as we should, but it's really clearly conveyed here because it's critical if we're going to understand what um, salvation is. And see, here's the thing. is we believe in Jesus Christ, we're united to him by faith. We're united to him by faith. And just as and what this passage is saying is, just as he went down to the grave because we're united to him, so our sinful nature died in him as he went, as he died on that cross and was buried there. He is that decisive power for killing sin inside of our life. Um, many of us here used film 
previous to digital cameras being everywhere, right? And one of the things that, I, I remember we had a, a trip to Utah and we couldn't remember if this one roll of film had been used or not. And so we rewound it all the way to the beginning, we used it anyway, and then when we developed it, it was superimposed. And so if you, if you only use digital cameras, you might not know this, but you know, if you use a piece of film twice for two different pictures, like it actually adds both pictures onto that little picture. And so you can see a picture of Julie and I on our anniversary, and then a picture of Julie and I in Utah or something like that. You know, so, so that's what it was. But it's sort of like that. That's what, that's what our union with Christ is in his death, right? Our, our old sinful nature is superimposed, is on top of him as he's crucified on the cross. And God is killing that sinful nature um, on the cross even as, even as Christ dies for us. And so what Colossians is reminding us is that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been, is, you've been circumcised by him in the sense that your sinful nature has been cut off. It's been cut off as a power source in your life. And you know he's already done something if you're a believer in Christ because you wouldn't be able to believe in Christ unless he'd started that process in you, right? The sinful heart resists God. It's, it, it resists the gospel, but so you could believe he cut that part off. That's the heart surgery. Now, this is a decisive event, and it separates our old life from our new life. Just like the calendar, you know, we talk about B.C. and A.D., right? You know, we know a time before Christ. Now, it might have been when we were really young. It might have been when we were just little kids. We might not know a day that we didn't know Jesus. He converted us really young. Praise God for that. But there was a decisive event of which God changes us. Before Christ, before we knew him, before we obeyed and walked with him, and when he changed us in the gospel. It's the difference between what you were and what you are. You're not the same. A change has taken place. But if you look at the passage, it goes on because it says something else other than just about circumcision. It also speaks about baptism. And I think it connects it to an important way because the meaning of circumcision and what's there gets absorbed by this image of baptism. That's why I think inside the New Testament that circumcision is not required, but baptism is. Baptism is commanded by Christ. The old gets absorbed in the new. The meaning of the old and cutting off sin is absorbed into the new in the union with Christ, and it becomes so much greater, right? Baptism gives us a more complete picture of our union with Christ. Baptism isn't a commitment that we make as much as it is a sign that we've been brought into covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said he was bringing a new covenant, right? What is that sign that he brings? He gives us baptism. And that leads us then in the spiritual significance of baptism, right? A lot more going on there than just getting wet. And that's what Colossians chapter 2 says. And what it points us to is that where circumcision is a sign of getting rid of bad things, getting rid of that old sinful nature, what baptism signifies also is a new power that comes from being united to Christ in his resurrection. See, that's the powerful working of God. It's a sign of all things new that Jesus brings with him. The things that you have as you believe in him. All right, so let's look at that now. And I want to start off by looking at a very similar passage in Romans chapter 6. So back to Romans, just back a few books. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Because Romans 6, of all the chapters in the Bible, just speaks so clearly about what union with Christ looks like. And you'll see it's very similar to what we saw in Colossians 2.12. Romans 6, 4 says this. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Right? This is one of those passages which shows what it means to be united to Christ. What it means to be united to him. It shows what happens inside of us. It happens with our moral life. It describes the new regenerated life that we experience when we believe in him. So it reminds us that as Christ went down into the grave, our old sinful nature went with him into that grave, right? That's a reiteration of, of what we've seen in circumcision. It no longer has control, that spiritual circumcision. But then it goes on to say that we've been raised up with Jesus Christ. That means our, a new self was resurrected together with him. You know, as we sing, up from the grave he arose, right? It's also a reminder that when he rose from the dead, your, your, your new man rose again. You were resurrected. You rose as a person who wants to obey and wants to walk with God. You rose with new power for obedience, new power for love, new power for joy in Jesus Christ. Now why? Verse 4 says why he did this. So that we can walk in this newness of life. So you can walk in the power of Jesus Christ. I love what Galatians 2.20 says here. Because it shows us that spiritual life that we've been filled with. Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's union with Christ, right? He lives through us. His power is working through us in order to do the things that he's called us to to do. That's true freedom. Now, I'll tell you how I apply this then inside my Christian life and how I apply it as I just interact with people about the struggle against sin and fighting against sin. Is that when you're struggling against sin, you're fighting against temptation, you're dealing with discouragement and anxiety or, or shame and regret, this is what you can say to yourself. You can say, self, you are dead to sin, but alive in Christ. You're dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Do you want to look at pornography? You say to yourself, but I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive in Christ. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm alive. Why would I want to give up my life for that old dead thing? Are you tempted to lose your temper? I'm dead to sin. I'm I'm alive in Christ. Are 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 you tempted to cut yourself? To quit on a relationship? To cheat? To leave? You tell yourself, I'm dead to sin, I am alive to Christ. Do you want to know how to be more loving, to be more joyful, to be more self-controlled? Preach that message to yourself. I'm dead to sin, I'm alive in Christ. Right? That's what Jesus is doing. He is making us more and more holy through his power, making us more alive. God has already run the victory in Jesus Christ. What we do is we walk in his victory as we, as we walk in that newness of life. So we might ask, why then do I still sin if I'm dead to sin but alive to Christ? You know, the Bible says that the, that the old man is still with us. He doesn't have power in our lives, but he still shows up from time to time. Right? Anybody ever seen a zombie movie? I hope not. They're horrors more, and they're kind of grotesque. <laughs> And all that. But if you happen to have one, you can imagine that zombie movie. You know, what's a zombie? It's a dead person, rotting corpse or something like that, who comes back to life to wreak havoc on other people. Well, that's kind of like what that old sinful nature is like. 
right? Grotesque, disgusting, just wanting to, you know, destroy and kill, just create all kinds of havoc inside your life. You know, that's what the old sinful nature is like. You know, how does it, how does it come? It comes in our old habits, right? It comes because of our fears, because we, listen, because we listen to our old sinful nature rather than the new man. But as a Christian, if you believe in Christ, you need to know this, that the primary power in your life is not your sinful nature. The primary power in your life is Jesus Christ working by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the light of that, you don't have to sin. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to sin because I'm pretty sure you will. I still sin way more than I should be sinning. But I'm saying that you don't have to sin. Apart from Jesus Christ, you will only sin. But in Christ, we don't have to. And I try to remind myself that. You know, when, when I do sin, I, I remember, all right, this sin does not define me. This, my, my life is made up in Jesus Christ. And I know that as I walk in him, as I can choose differently next time, and I can choose differently in Christ. What, what a great hope that we have. We choose to hold on to it. Reminding ourselves of what Christ Jesus has done. The power that is working in us and the Holy Spirit who's resident in us. The power to say yes to God. To say no to sin. All right, so what? What do we, what do, we do with this? Here's a couple application points. My first application is about your baptism, and namely about improving your baptism. Now, if you're a Christian, you have been baptized. I mean, or at least you should have been baptized. Jesus commands baptism in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be. Talk to an elder, talk to me. But beyond that command, though, is our application, and it's the application of taking that seriously. And by that, we're talking about living out your baptism life. Now, I don't think we think about our baptism half as much as we should, but we should think about it more because it's, significant, it's a significant sign in our lives to look back to, on and be encouraged by and to use it as something to improve in. In fact, the Westminster Larger Catechism talks about improving our baptism. I wrote this in your bulletin. Um, in the, on the notes page, question 167. And it's really a pretty fascinating question. Um, we're not going to read it today, but I encourage you to read it maybe for lunch, maybe read it in your care groups over this week. Um, but it's a question, how is our baptism to be improved by us? Now, if you don't know, the larger catechism, it's a question and answer tool that we use to, to show forth, you know, what is the core of the Christian faith? What is, the, what is Christian doctrine? What is it that Christians believe? And the larger catechism sets that forward. And <clears throat> here you see this combination of life and doctrine. It comes together. How do we improve our baptism? Right? And if you look at the answer uh, briefly, you'd see that we do it by living it out. Like we, we've seen today that baptism like circumcision is God's mark of belonging. It's a call to a certain way of life. It's a point to the promises and the power that we have. It's a reminder all that he's done. And that we can let that reminder shape our actions, right? When we sin, right? We remember Jesus Christ has washed me in his blood, right? When we sin, we remember God has marked me for himself and I no longer have to be identified by that. He's given me power in Christ. When you hear of his grace, you remember, you know, not only is that grace out there for people, it's been given to me and he's even marked me in his grace. When we're tempted, Remember, you know, I don't belong to that world anymore. I don't want that. I want Christ. 
As we look at our brothers and sisters, it's a reminder to us that, that no matter what's going on in their life, remember that they also have been marked by God's love, marked by his covenant and been brought into his family just as I have. We have a connection by faith. Reminds us what God has done. It reminds us what he's done in washing away our sins. As Titus 3, 5, and 6 says, that he saved us by the washing of renewal, of, of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder to us that he clothed us with his righteousness and adopted us into his family. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you are baptized into Christ and put on Christ. It shows us that he marked us as belonging to God in love. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one spirit we are all baptized in one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Improve your baptism. Walk in it, grow in it. It's a starting point, but it's one that we keep looking back to and say, yeah, how can we, how can we beautify this starting point in my life? Here's the second application that I want to bring today. Is be sure that you have been changed internally. I mean, some of you are trusting the wrong things. Maybe you trust the fact that you've been baptized, but you're blatantly living in sin. Maybe you become complacent because you were born to a Christian family, but your life is not bearing Christian fruit. Baptism won't get you to heaven. Good works won't get you to heaven. Walking an aisle won't get you to heaven. A prayer won't get you to heaven. Being born into a Christian family will not get you into heaven. Being American will not get you into heaven. Only Jesus Christ will get you into heaven. Believe in him. Let him wash you with his forgiveness. Let him wash your sins away. If you found that you trusted in the wrong things, trust him today. Give your life to him. Confess your sins. Ask him that he forgive you. Ask him that he cleanse you. And he promises he will. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ, you've given us so many precious promises. God, help us to dwell in those. Help us to see what our union with Christ means. God, those old ways have been cut off. They're gone. Those old ways have been washed away. Those old ways have been buried in the ground. But Father, in Jesus Christ, you've given us new life, new vitality, new power. Father, help us to walk in that and all that you've given to us, both this day, in our families, in our workplace, in our communities, wherever we go, to demonstrate the love of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. We'll stand together. Our closing hymn is...